0: we spoke yesterday and I, I was struggling yesterday to express the idea after <laughs> mulling it over I, wa- I want to give a few illustrations of the idea that I <coughs> a- attempted to present yesterday about the first paragraph uh, in the Derech Hashem he says call me so a person every Jew needs in other words it's a need it's not an obligation first you have a need and then you have an obligation and then there's imuna and you have to have the intuition which doesn't come through the cognitive channels it's something which is an experience and you also have to have a way of of, of processing it cognitively but it's, it's actually that way around the imuna the, 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 the is a starting point and the knowledge comes later and what is this? Muna in this knowledge is shom There's a there's a primary being now the problem is what is the word shom that's a very difficult word to deal with and there is over there where's there that's not clear to me I don't know what, what the pshat is with. there's over there I don't know what that is matsu um, irishon a primary being kadmoin which goes into the past he always was nitsuki he always will be Vuhu, and this being, not only is he independent, as it were, eternal, going backwards and forwards in time. Vuhu, Shehimtsi is also creative. Shehimtsi he created, Umamzi, and creates, everything in this world, Vuhel and he's God. We said this connection to the powerful being is exactly the intent we have when we say the name, Sheh the name of Hashem. Um Hashem adoy the name Ad call the name of Adnus. Adnus that name ator Adoy Noi it's a verse. So the name Adnus, that name is written with a yud, a he and then a Vav and another hay. That name represents Haya was. Hove is Ye will be. It represents the, the transcendence of time of Hashem. And in other words, saying that Hashem is beyond the construct of time. Hashem is also referred to as Hamakom, the place, meaning He's beyond the construct of space. He is the space of the world, the world's not His space. These, are, these, are, these again, these are, these are hard ideas to grasp. So I want to try to bring them down into... What we discussed is these are the kliyim; these are really, really big kliyim. These overriding principles. How do we experience them? What we spoke about a little bit yesterday was we can only experience them by being present in the moment and understanding that in the moment, which really is the only thing we have, we, the past was; we have no access to that. The future for us humans will be we don't know what's going to go there the only thing we really have is right now that's all we have so we have to connect to the right now not as a fragment of time uh, a small piece but as the whole but how can you do that but that's what Emuna is Emune is when you connect to the piece as a whole and not a piece as a piece okay I know that all sounds very abstract so I'm going to try to make it a little bit more tangible I'm trying to, I'll make it tangible through an exercise that we perform every morning, but I'll give you an introduction to the exercise. In order for us to be present in the moment, one of our greatest um, tools that we can use to assist us is our body. Because even though your head can be in the past and the future, your body is definitely in the present. So if you can be with your body, you'll automatically be in the present. Now, how do, you, how do you get with your body? What you do is, you take a part of your body and you allow your entire focus to rest on that part of your body. Once you have the focus of your mind being on a singular part of your body, you'll see that you exist in the present. Now, I'd like to take that, after when we've done that, I want to take it one stage further, but let's just... See if you can do that, okay? Just to make it easier so we're not over-stimulated by sensory input, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you to allow your attention to rest on one thing and one thing alone. I want you to feel the air on your left cheek. And when your mind becomes distracted and starts to go backwards and forwards in time, just bring your attention back to the sensation of how does the air feel as it touches your left cheek. And we hear noises in the background. People speaking, noises inside your head, just try and bring it back, you focus your entire attention, so it takes up all of your mind. Wow. The sensation of the air on your left cheek. Um, okay so now we're going to take that a little bit further I don't know know what experience anyone had but for me they created quite a strong focus strong focus now what I want you to do is let's for a moment again we'll close our eyes close your eyes And I want you to focus on when your eyes are closed your inability to see. Your inability to see. Which means that when your eyes are closed things, there may be a few kind of shooting spots in your eyes. There may not. We can still with our eyelids differentiate little bits of sun and darkness. But essentially we are unable to, certainly unable to see what's around us. I want you to focus on the blackness of not being able to see. Now, I want you to imagine that Chatz v'sholem, your inability to see was a permanent inability. And what that would mean is you'd never be able to again see the deep azure blue of the sky You'd never be able to sit on a cliffside and watch the waves break against the shore. You'd never be able to stand upon a mountaintop and see an outstretched forest beneath you. You'd never be able to see a setting sun or a rising one. And you'd never be able to see the faces of the friends that you love or your parents or your siblings. You'd never be able to read from a book using your eyes, you'd never be able to tamper, see the screen of your phone or the screen of your computer. You'd never be able to see into the distance or close by. Your entire life would be a life of darkness. <coughs> and I want you to dwell on that thought of not having the privilege of sight, and you'd be able to drive a car. You wouldn't be able to walk in the streets without guidance, cross a road. Your entire functioning in the world would become severely inhibited. Focus deeply on that lack of sight. Feel the sadness of that inability. And then, what I want you to do is, slowly, 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 open your eyes, and appreciate that you can see, appreciate that you can differentiate between colors, you can see with binocular vision, and experience the three dimensions that you can see ahead of you. Experience the fact that you can read the covers of the books around you, you can look into the faces of your friends, you can have that communication through eyes. Enjoy the fact that you can see the sun shining down outside and the car driving by and you'll be able to see it in the future, you'll still be able to see your friends and family, you'll be able to read the book in front of you and feel the joy of your sight. Are you feeling the joy of your sight? Five minutes ago it felt as if before we closed the eyes you didn't realize you could see. But now you have a new appreciation of sight. Why is this relevant? This is part of our spiritual apparatus. Where does it come to for? In the morning brachas. The fourth of the morning bruchas we say is Hashem ivrim. He opens up the eyes of the blind. Those brochas are meditations gaining an awareness and appreciation of exactly the point that the Ramchal has brought down in this book which is Hashem was, He will be, He is and you can experience the power of that creative energy By focusing on the details of your life. When we opened up our eyes, we opened up our eyes as us opening up our eyes. When you do it in the meditative process of the bracha, we say, Hashem, the power to open up my eyes, to open up my eyelids, and more than that, the sense of sight, which is this miraculous combination of complex biological reactions, the way that the eye enters into the retina. All of that, as the words say, himzi, He created, the I, U mamzi, and is creating the experience of sight right now as we speak. So right now, when I experience the gift of sight, what I'm experiencing is, Always was, always will be, is. Creates everything and is making it happen right now. But that's too ethereal, that's too in the air, so when I look and I see and I feel the creative energy that's gushing through me and allowing me the privilege of sight, so I feel that principle in the way that I can look close and far. Anyone good to understand the point? that this high lofty ideal has to be translated into something very small and detailed. And the truth is, it doesn't have to be seeing. One of the other brochas is Matir Asurim He releases those in bonds. The bonds that we... In other words, He allows us not to be paralyzed. So you could experience the creative energy flowing through yourself by the movement of your body. Who's making your body move? So then Munna says, the what's making your body move is the energy that's being filtered into the created world that's giving us the privilege of movement. So then a movement again becomes a meditation and a connection. Matirasurim, as you move around, you can feel that sense of connection. Okay, so that, that was my theoretical presentation. Judging by the look on your faces uh, looks like I was a dismal failure uh, which, which is fine which is fine um, failure is an experience that I'm very much used to and uh, I'm going on to the next section of the Derech Hashemna and pretend as if that never happened there's something else you need to know Shema Tzui is Yitzbaruch Shmoi this being Eina mitas Messias and Messias Zula Eklal Hashem grasping Hashem is impossible other than Hashem himself Rak Zeynoi Daboi Know this and only this Shumot Shalem, Sholem The only thing we can know about Hashem is he's perfect Bechom Hashem is for Loinim Tzaboi Chisro And there's no lacking in him whatsoever Vo'olam However dvoi Meile These things Yudanum Bekabola we knew this, we know this. How do we know this? How do we know this? In other words, between the last paragraph, a point that Joshua pointed out yesterday, and this paragraph, there's an invisible problem, a dilemma, that you've just told me, there's one thing we can know about Hashem. Nothing. And we know that. How do we know that? Who tells you what you can and can't know? In other words, to know that you can know nothing about Hashem, you have to know Hashem. So it becomes a problem. So between these two paragraphs, Joshua, between these two paragraphs, Joshua, feel that kasha, the difficulty, feel the question that you have, and allow it to just be no, just allow it to be, just live with it Live with it, no, live with it where, where do you feel it? Where do you feel the kasha? Do you feel it in your stomach? Where? Where in your body do you feel it? No, you do, you do, you do, I can see it, it's bursting out of you it's a, Don't you no, feel it in your hands? No, 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 you feel it somewhere, where do you feel it? Let's go with my head No, you don't feel it in your head, it looks like you're feeling it in your hands Okay, let go Have the kasha and you can move on. So there's a difficulty, there's a difficulty, there's a difficulty between these paragraphs, and the difficulty is what the Ramchal comes to answer in the second paragraph, Ulam. And however, how do we know this? How do we know that you can't know anything about Hashem? Well, we know this because we have a tradition. We have a tradition from the forefathers, Umina Navim, and from the prophets. So that's two external sources, and it's interesting to note the fact that the Ramchal differentiates between the knowledge gained by the forefathers and the knowledge gained by the prophets. There's a differentiation between those two, and now there's a further differentiation. The hisigum called Yisrael the Muhammad Sinai, and all of the Jewish people understood this, grasped this, received this at Mount Sinai, and they saw the truth of this matter with absolute clarity so now he's described three time periods the patriarchs time period number one the prophets time period number two and the national revelation at Sinai time period number three now they're not sequential because the patriarchs came before Sinai And the prophets came after Sinai. So the ordering is interesting. He doesn't say, from the patriarchs, from Har Sinai, and from the prophets. Prophecy began at Har Sinai. That's not absolutely accurate. But it's it's the the prophets that we have officially. The official prophets uh, began from Har Sinai onwards. Yeshua, Shmuel, etc., um, there were prophets beforehand, like, for example, Miriam, Moshe Rabbeinu's sister, was a prophet, prophetess. Aaron was a prophet, but prophecy, the bulk of prophecy, the, prophet, the prophetic knowledge essentially occurred historically after Sinai. So, I would have ordered it fathers, Sinai, and prophets, which is interesting. And also the way it describes Sinai. Vehisigum, and they understood this, grasped it, and the word "hisig" means "to attain." It's a different kind of word. It's not, it's not a word that's generally used, generally used in the context of uh, mental activity. You don't say that a person um, generally the word for learning and teaching or "lomaid, Melamed, lehavin, laha Lahasig is a different kind of knowledge. It's almost an attainment of an understanding. It seems to perhaps bypass the normal channels of of cognitive and intellectual activity. Do you have a do you have a question, Shlama? Yeah. Where are you feeling that question? No, you're not feeling it in your head. You're feeling it in your body. Where in your body are you feeling it? Be aware. Be aware. Think about it. Do you feel it? Sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's an urge in your stomach. Sometimes it's a pulling out of your hand. Sometimes it's in your legs. Sometimes the people, they, they shake their legs. The reason they're shaking their legs... Between my chest and my throat. Like right Between your chest and your throat. You're feeling it there? Yeah. Okay. I want you to feel it there. And accept it. Okay. Good. So... <laughs> Can we do this with Gomorrah as well? Hey. And you want to do that in Gomorrah? Yeah, I just ne- never, never really ask any questions. Yeah, 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 you can do that in Gomorrah as well. You're lucky you got away with that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, you, the, there's an interesting emphasis that the Ramchal places on the Harasina what Harasina was. And he says two things. He says, V'hisigum, Yisrael They grasped it. And they stood upon its truth. The reality of it. And then it says, "Then now, nah, this is when the educational process occurs. Then they taught it to their children. Dur-a-chadur. Now, what did they teach? It doesn't say they taught. And they... Uh, Degrees, they I don't know if they could have taught the experience, they taught the information about the experience because they can't, they can't be transferred the experience. There was one generation that had the experience, and the previous generations heard about the experience. It's important differentiation, Petito. You go and you go bungee jumping. Not that a person of your solid stability and well-planned out lifestyle would ever consider such a rash endeavour. But let's say you not you, but you decide to go bungee jumping and the fear of death as you plummet towards, and you don't realise that there's a rope experientially tied to your feet as you plunge down towards the ravine is is is, and then you find that you actually can't, can't find the words to describe it. You can say terrifying, you can say but eventually you'll kind of say, I don't know how to put it into words but you can say to your friends, I went bungee jumping on this day and I experienced something which was like fear and fear of death and then this absolute rescue from it when I actually didn't hit the bottom and I sprung back up again you could say that you wouldn't be able to convey the experience, you'd be able to convey what occurred when you experienced it second hand, but the second hand doesn't only tell me it's not only once removed, it's the quality, the texture and the taste of the experience has now been subtracted. So it would be very interesting to know if, let's say, we, we lose out on the experience of Arsena and it's taught us, but could we experience also harasena, us today, now? Could we also experience it? We certainly need to know about it but maybe we'll be able to experience it as well or maybe not. It's interesting. Simply speaking, we won't be able to experience it because it was one-off. But I'm happy to entertain and I have an inklings that that may not be true. And they it to their children, children generation after generation until today. And this is what's called the chain of transmission, something that the Jewish people have been exceptionally fastidious about and that's the integrity of the transmission um, and the many security checks that are built into what's called Teshuvah the oral Torah to make sure that it does not become distorted from its source. So it can be generated faithfully throughout very trying circumstances, both geographically and historically, until that the ethroid that I'm holding in my hand today or the feeling that I'm wearing can be corroborated by Tefillin discovered 2,000 years ago, and the order and the text and the format and the shape and the exact design is identical to that of today. Now, that's impressive. To find a Sefer Torah where the lettering is a duplicate of what we have today is impressive. But when you actually go into the halachic requirements of the transfer of the information, so then you see the exactitude that's needed, that, for example, with the Sefer Torah, how Minute the halachic requirements are in terms of the shape of the letters and the care that an insect shouldn't even be in the vicinity, lest it rest on a letter whilst the ink is still wet and distort a letter slightly, which will then pervert the tradition for the next generation, perhaps. So it's quite impressive that the Jewish people dispersed over the four corners of the globe when they meet again together as they are now in Israel you can go into any shul of your choice even though the traditions that the people had left yours a thousand years ago, going to Te shul the Yemenite shul I believe they were been in Yemen since the first temple period and you can follow the tefillahs granted the intonation is somewhat different there's, there's, there's small nuance difference in terms of custom but in terms of the body of what you're doing it's a duplicate we're running out of time um, I want to thank you today for your, for your lack of participation. Uh, it was deeply uninspiring for me. And uh, so it's Oimad that you are leaving the shares as, as uninspired and frustrated as I am. Thank you.